Welcome to Voices of Experience, your audio and video access to interviews, insights, and information that will help you speak more and speak better. Voices of Experience is brought to you by the National Speakers Association. Now, here are your hosts, Stephen Iverson, CSP, and Pilar Ortiz. Hola, dear listeners. We welcome you to our June 2016 edition of Voices of Experience. We have for you in this edition some fantastic conversations with successful working professional speakers who share with you their knowledge, effective tips, and proven techniques. Make sure you watch the interviews available on video by clicking on the icon on the bottom of the app. Let's get to it. Month in Speakers Magazine, Marquesa Pedway CSP writes a column where speakers share their best strategies in business, marketing, technology, and much more. And here on this interview, she shares with us her own favorite tools when it comes to promoting our businesses online. We are at the table with Marquesa Pedway. That's right. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> CSP, thank you for being here. And we are always as speakers and entrepreneurs looking for tools to make it easier and better, right? Easier and better and profitable. What we'd like to know is what kind of tools could you tell us about that would help us be that profitable speaker? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. One of my favorite tools that's excellent for positioning, building credibility, and attracting clients is called Canva. It's like Canvas without the S, canva.com. It's so easy. It's idiot proof. This is for non-professional graphic artists. You go right in there, type up a nice little quote or one of your wonderful gems that you teach on platforms in a few words or less, think Twitter, and then put at the end of it a call to action. Go to my site, download a free guide or book me to speak or something of the sort, and then put a link of some sort that goes back to your website. And don't send them to any site, send them to a site with a purpose, such as an opt-in page or give them an invitation to go to a webinar. But Canva is awesome. And then here's the goal. You're gonna go in there, create these wonderful images. And by the way, Canva makes it so easy. They'll ask you the question, do you wanna do a Facebook post? Do you want to do a Twitter post? Do you want to do YouTube posts and so on and so forth? So you don't have to worry about the size and all those things we don't care about. You just go in and type and then you can, they have free images, so this is free, or you can pay a dollar for one of their images. I love it, it's my best friend. And again, once you create it, you can download it as an image and put it right on your social media timeline or your fan page or wherever you want. And I think it's an excellent, excellent positioning tool. Wonderful. And can you put like your logo, your picture, or only the ones that are there? You can put whatever you want on it. Awesome. You can actually use it to create little logos. Maybe you have an event coming up. You can do so many things. But one of the ways I would ask you to use it is just to share a message with your tribe. It's a great way to get people to engage you and really see if you can solve their problems. But the magic, you said, was making sure there was a link to bring them to a purpose. There you go. Okay. There you go. And I the other it. thing is the branding, because you can be consistent. We put a quote there, but 
every day is different color here you can have the same colors branding fonts that's what i love and then what i love is i'll do maybe 10 at a time and line them all up in my social media feeder or hootsuite or whatever you use and then it just goes out every day and it really engages people I, it's it's just smart and it's easy and here's the thing videos are fine pictures are fine but you got to mix it up you got to have a little of everything and if you're going to release a brilliant quote uh one of my fellow nsayers showed me a wonderful quote that she put there but she didn't put her name she didn't put a call to action i said wait a minute put your name in a call to action and by the way if you want to dress it up a little bit why not do it on keva and she changed it literally the next day and said Marquette had 62 shares so of the 62 shares how many of those folks actually went to her website and opted in and downloaded her ebook or watched her speaker video so it's really a smart resource great how about one more tool yes oh, <laughs> now this one I've been in business 10 years this is my 10 year anniversary I began using this tool nine years ago it is audioacrobat.com audioacrobat.com this is perfect if you want to record an interview if you want to record a membership call, I have my own membership group, so I do about three membership calls a month. If you want to maybe record, you can record anything, video or audio. But what makes Audio Acrobat different is it gives you a studio-like quality. It's very clean. And then when you publish it, you can publish it as a link. You know how sometimes you'll publish an audio and then you'll say, oh, I got to go to Dropbox, send them, and then have them link to the, it's, it's, you got a headache. Who's going to go to Dropbox? Who's going to do that? So why not send them a regular email link? And then Audio Acrobat gives you a choice. You can either do an embedded link, um, and a link you can email, a link you can put right on your lead page. It's easy and idiot proof and get this let's say that you recorded an audio ebook and then you put it into your autoresponder so that every time someone opts into your website they get this wonderful audio ebook or whatever you want to call it and then you decide oh my goodness i forgot to put my website on there darn it i gotta re-record you can go back to that same uh service that same link wow and literally re-record it, and then it will automatically change what you already have set up in your autoresponder. So to make that clear, it's so easy. I love this. This is why I've had it all these years. It's like 20 bucks a month, which is a great investment. And I have links all over my website, my membership site. So I use it for visitors. I use it for members. I use it for clients. And sometimes, you know, you have a wonderful speaking engagement and you want to tell the meeting planner, thank you. Why not send them an audio card? Why not say, oh, I, this is what I enjoyed. Uh, thank you for your hospitality. It was my pleasure to share X, Y, and Z. If you need me again, please do this. So you can record it right in front of your computer or you can write out the words and then send it to them and then you can tell when they opened it. <laughs> Just by looking in your Audio Acrobat account. So you can track the activity. That's wonderful. Yes, you can. Measure, track. It does everything but serve me dinner. Oh, that's <laughs> <Everything>. bad. <laughs> and then here's the thing, just to be clear, you may say, well, how are you bringing it in? It's a third line. So the only thing you really need is 
three-way call. So this is over the phone? This is over the phone. Because I was going to ask you if it's a software or you go online and do it, not even a professional You microphone. can go online, audioacrobat.com. You do not need a professional microphone or anything of the sort. You can usually use, you can use your telephone. However, they give you a choice. If you want to record through the computer, then yes, you can use a microphone. Um, I record through my Mac all the time without a microphone and it comes out nice and clear. So you can do whatever you want. Say that you're in an airport. There was a contest that, because I'm so in love with Audio Acrobat, they did a contest, sent us uh, an example of how you use it. I was coming from an NSA conference in Philly. Remember that one? And I'm sitting on the train that goes from Philly to New York City. And Jay Townsend, my fellow NSA speaker in New York City, record me, Jay. I just want to give a tip. So I literally, he picks up my iPhone, records me. I upload it on Audio Acrobat because it's through an app. And I sent it to Audio Acrobat, and and I won. Yeah, I won. So I'm on a front. So, but that's not why I'm sharing it. I just really, really love it. But see how easy that is? It's just wonderful. I think it's an excellent resource to put into your speaker toolbox. Thank you, Marquesa. My pleasure. Thank you. We are going to start using them right away. Pilar, do you have a website? Sure, I do. And you? I, I do. As a speaker, it makes sense to have a website, but it makes more sense to have a good website that works for us. Yes. It's certainly not one that's useless. Absolutely. So that's why we are going to enjoy this conversation with Corey Perman. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. What to look for in a good website. So let's start little by little. What is the most common mistake that you have seen in a website? So good, I would say there's two. So the first one is value proposition. So when I go to a website, a speaker's website in particular, um, I want to be able to know exactly what they do in literally seconds. And a good example, a best practice, my friend and fellow uh, Georgia native, uh, Waldo Waldman, <laughs> the wingman, mm -hmm. on his website it says motivational keynote speaker. It's the first thing you see. Without a shadow of a doubt, you know what he does. My question for your listeners is if we go to their website, do we know without a shadow of a doubt in two seconds what they do? It's very, very important. And you don't want to start out with a bunch of questions or anything that's going to confuse um, your visitor of that website. So and especially one. if it's the many things, author, speaker, trainer. Just, just, I mean, just be as clear and as simple as possible. What do you do? That's your value proposition. It's good for the visitor of your site, and it's great for the search engines as well. The second thing, and probably equally as important, is the lack of critical information. So meaning that you have to f try to scroll to find it. And for all of us, I'd say the number one thing that I see missing most is the phone number. So when I go to a speaker's website, if I can't find your phone number, don't make me think. Don't make me think. Allow me to find that as quickly as possible. So if I just want to pick up the phone and call you and book you, I can. And oftentimes that's missing. Is it recommended to have it in different pages or in the home page? Because that piece is so critical, um, there are two things that I see that I like. One is just having the phone number at the top on every page, yes. And then I have a little thing called Contact Me, and I think a lot of, uh, of fellow speakers have that. And it's a service that you can use, and it actually, as people scroll down your site, the Contact Me tab follows them. And, and so at the moment that they're ready to work with you, they can click it and fill out a form. What are some other common mistakes that you see with most speaker websites? 
Yeah, I'll give you a couple of them. Um, color pollution's one, and this one's a little bit tougher to describe than to see, but let me just sort of try to visualize it for your audience. It's when you go to a website and it makes your head spin. Uh, there's just so many things to look at on the site that it confuses the visitor. If you're looking for something specific, I'd say more than three primary colors starts to mess with somebody's mind. When you see a lot of images, when you see a ton of text, you know when you've seen a color polluted site. It's just people go, whoa, oh, you know, I do these hot sessions, as you guys know, where I put people people's websites up in front of the room and you'll just see, you'll hear it in the audience, they'll just go, if you can hear that, then that's not a good thing when you see somebody's website. They say, like, oh, that's nice. So, so color pollution is not just about the color, but it's also about all the text and all that other detail that we're just exploding off the screen. Yeah, I call it color pollution, but it's really information overload. And it could be through colors, it could be through images, or it could be through content. So just be careful. Three primary colors, you know, black text on a white background, you know, try not to go to quote-unquote creative, you know, gray text on an orange background and all this stuff. I mean, look, if it works for your brand, great, but be careful. Number one bottom line is, is you just got to make sure people can read your site and get through the next step. Most people aren't going to win the business by their website necessarily, but they certainly can lose the business. If you frustrate somebody, they'll go somewhere else. Another thing, you know, not to get too technical on you, but the key word, so we're here at NSA and, and uh, I kept hearing humorous speaker, humorous speaker, humorous speaker, and I just said to myself, I have never heard that phrase before, humorous speaker. So I went to my little Google dashboard and I tested to see how often that was actually searched on Google. And I think the month that I looked in it, I think it was searched all of three times in the entire world. Mm -hmm. So it was a reminder to me and the rest of my fellow speakers that we need to be careful to not uh, overthink what our keywords are and to actually put words on our site that searchers are using. So if I was a humorous speaker, maybe it's funny speaker. I don't know, that's not my, my side, obviously. But it might be comedic speaker, I don't know. But it's not humorous speaker. You may be a humorous speaker, but that is not what people are searching on Google to find you. Those are the words that you wanna make sure are in nice, obvious to see places on your site. What about social proof? It's updating the website and keeping it fresh and putting all type of, if you have an award, is that very important to? It's critical. So what does social proof mean? Social proof is when somebody's going to your site, instead of that, you know, that sound that I made on color pollution, it's like the opposite. It's like, oh, so, you know, we talked about Steve, just got him, give him a shout out, just got a CSP. So we're going to get the CSP on his site, right? Uh -huh. So that's social proof. You know, if you're a CSP, great. If you're a CPAE, man, you got to have that on your website, right? So a couple of, of uh, examples of social proof, brands that you've worked with, so, you know, I just got finished working with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm super excited uh -huh. about that. So I got the Cowboys logo on my site. That's social proof. Testimonial, you know, is a great example of social proof. Uh, years in the business might be social proof. Uh, an award, best-selling author, you know, New York Times bestseller. Those are all social proof to differentiate you versus your competition. How many testimonials on our website? Oh, interesting <laughs> question. Um, I'm always about quality over quantity. And a best practice for testimonials is don't put the whole paragraph in there because no one's going to read it. Either put it in there and bold uh, the critical part of it or just put, so I had this like page long testimony this lady gave me. It was a beautiful testimony. It was way too long. But the one piece she put in there is something to the effect of we never bring speakers back more than once. But Corey's stuff was so relevant, we brought him back like three times or something to that effect. I took that piece out, put it in my site. That's the part that mattered. Everything else was fluff. 
So you made sure a moment ago that we start thinking about the value of putting our critical information, our phone number, all that contact stuff. How do we capture their information? Because, you know, meeting planners and other people, they kind of land, they look, then it's gone. And we don't know that they were really there. Yeah, and Steve, I'll be honest with you on this one. In our industry, this is tough. If we were in a different industry, collecting people's information, their email addresses, becomes a little bit easier than ours. Meeting planners are tough to get their information from because they know what we're trying to do. Um, they're savvy with that. But I still want you to try. And I don't want you to try in a, in a sleazy, aggressive way. But at the same time, what can we do to just be able to stay in touch with the prospects that are coming to our site? So when um, I look at speakers' websites, you know, for me, I give away a digital copy of my uh, first book in exchange for your information. And I try very hard not to frustrate you by overdoing my email marketing. Mine's like once a month to my meeting planners and such. And I try to put as much value into their lives as I can in that. So I try to stay top of mind that way. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Another way to be able to capture that relationship is to connect with them on social media. So having your social media icons on the site is a great thing to do, but here's a best practice for you on that or a tip. Don't put the icons that you are not active on. Mm -hmm. So if it's like the Google Plus icon or the Instagram or Pinterest and you're doing nothing with that site, the last thing you wanna do is send somebody from your site to a site that you're not active on. What a terrible use of, of, of the, the, the time that you're giving that prospect. So instead, you know, if it's LinkedIn, if it's Facebook, have that icon there, see if you can connect with them on that, ask to be connected, and maybe that's a great way to be able to, to collect their information that way. Having one or two or more websites, what is your recommendation? It really depends on the speaker. In my case, it worked out to have two because I have an agency side of my business and I have a speaking side and they're really separate. So I hate to ask speakers to do more work. So it, when possible, one is fine because it's one, one piece of work. You know, you got to do all these things we're talking about. I hate to make you do it twice. But if you are confusing decision makers because there's too much on your site. You either have to simplify or it's time to segment your sites and put two separate out there. So the long and short of it is, in my case, because I have literally two pieces of uh, different business, I have two sites, but if you're a speaker, you're a coach, you're a consultant, and you can kind of keep them all congruent with each other, one is great. And we spoke earlier about the value proposition and that is makes easier the search of your website the, the, that you that they find you. Anything else that we have to um, consider to build traffic to our website? Yeah, so I mean, that, that's a good question. It's like, uh, you know, we build this beautiful, nice looking site, we need to get people to come to it. Um, so a couple of sort of best practices on that, I would say one is on your email signature, it's a great opportunity to be able to mention your website. Obviously, it almost goes without saying now that on your business card, I like to see, obviously, uh, I call it Hurl Your Earl, which is URL, <laughs> Hurl Your Earl. So put your website address on all your marketing materials and that type of thing. Uh, one common mistake I see is on your LinkedIn and your social media profiles, we're often not uh, putting our website on there. On your LinkedIn profile, there's a contact button, and you should definitely have your website address there and your phone number, by the way. And so I would do that as well. There's some advertising opportunities and such that's probably for a different conversation, but you know, I do Facebook ads and a little bit of retargeting and remarketing ads to drive some traffic. It's, it's tough, it's competitive, um, it can be expensive, but that is another way to be able to boost traffic. Well, let me ask you for some advice. Okay. 
All of us have people coming to our websites, or at least we hope they are. <laughs> but not all of them arriving at our websites are staying, not really going deeper or checking things out. Do you have some ideas or some quick tips on what can we do to, to kind of keep them engaged? One of the things that we have to do today is make our site mobile responsive. Let me just be very clear on that because last year I was encouraging it, now I'm demanding it. Uh, and that's because you know Google and, so, and the other search engines have basically said, look, if you're not fully mobile responsive, we're actually going to you know, um, put other sites above yours because it's a better experience for our visitors, their customers. So what that means is your site, if somebody's on a tiny little device like their phone, needs to change its graphics in order to be able to make it more thumb friendly. So mobile friendly is key. Mobile responsive is what you want, meaning that when somebody goes to a smaller device, it actually changes the functionality of the site. If you are not mobile responsive, the two ways to get this done, find a local designer in your area or go to elance.com, E-L-A-N-C-E.com, and you can find a mobile re uh, response developer very quickly. Other than that, uh, Stephen, I would say, you know, never, change the main navigation of your site. So there's always this sort of, it's kind of like when you're at someone's house and you're going room to room to room, everything's connected and you know you're in their house. Same thing with a website. So if you're going along and all of a sudden the colors change and the theme changes and the, and the banner changes, people think they're gone and they're, they're, they're confused. So you always want to have that same main navigation piece there. And the last thing I'll say is anything that you, when you drive people away from your site to a social media site, maybe a YouTube channel, always open in a new browser. Don't open in the same browser because if they decide to click off of it thinking they're going back to your site, they just close their entire, we've lost them. We've lost them. Mm -hmm. And I have to remember to go back. So always open in a new window. That'll help as well. Wonderful information. Thank you very much, Corey. Do's and don'ts when we are talking about websites. I'm going to go make some changes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Stephen, the next interview is going to give us a different perspective about podcasting. That's right. Someone who says it's not as easy as having a microphone and a computer on air with Ella has been a successful podcast but it wasn't always like that. Elizabeth Lucas Averett has a podcast, and she is one of the few podcasters that says it is a lot of work. It is not as easy as others say it is. Welcome to VOE, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hi, Pilar. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. First of all, why did you start it? Because you have your full-time job as a business owner, and then you found podcast how? That's right, Pilar. I started the podcast on air with Ella, which has absolutely nothing to do with how I make a living in any way, shape, or form. So I work in the consulting industry, largely in aerospace, and now I have this podcast on air with Ella, and it's fitness, nutrition, and mindset. So how did I find it? Um, I have a passion for the topics, Pilar, I started off just having some private forums, some Facebook groups, helping people with these topics 
offline as well. And it grew into an, something where I needed an outlet. And that outlet and podcasting uh, came together for me in late 2014. And I went live in February of 2015. And this is wonderful. This is not that you were looking for it, really, but probably the people around you were asking for it. That is true and interesting. I do have way back in the dark ages, I have some experience in broadcast media. So I did work for terrestrial radio, as we call it now. We used to just call it radio, Pilar. <laughs> <laughs> and I worked in radio for a few years. And so that was way back in the recesses of my mind. But never did I dream that in 2015, you can get a laptop and a microphone and suddenly have your own show. Mm -hmm. uh, but that has changed or hasn't changed at all because it's kind of the same right now. It is absolutely fascinating that this medium has taken off the way that it has. I think that podcasting has actually been around. I'm sure I'll get this number a little bit wrong, but I think it's been around for almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. But in the past few years, there has been an absolute explosion in terms of accessibility of making and producing the content and also in receiving and listening to the content. So this medium is absolutely exploding, no question. What has worked for you specifically? Because we know that uh, some podcasters have been very successful, but some other people just do seven, ten podcasts, and then they're like, ah, this doesn't work. What has worked for you that our listeners can say, hey, I can do it if I'm not doing it yet? Right. We call that the pod fade. <laughs> when you start and you kind of have this really rapid burnout. And it's very, very understandable, Pilar, because a lot of people talk about how easy podcasting is. And if you listen, what I just did is I told you how easy it is to just start press record. And that's well, it. That's <laughs> right? True, right? And it works. <laughs> in, in, in a sense, there's an enormous amount of truth behind that. The barriers to entry are very, very low. If you have a microphone and a laptop and an internet connection, you are good to go. Literally, almost everything else can be done for free. And, and I'm making air quotes here, Pilar, because the software might be free and, and all of the things that you need are really virtually free in many cases. But that doesn't mean there. Let me let me put it this way. There is a huge gap between recording and producing a podcast and sustaining or growing even a very successful podcast that people are listening to. So those two things are very, very different things. And people sometimes make it sound a little bit easier than it is because, as I said, the barriers to entry are so low. But a, a, lot, a lot of work goes into it, just like anything else, to tell you the truth. So can we, tell, can we say that one is kind of the marketing piece, the other one is the relationship with the audience? Oh, gosh, yes, that's an excellent point because and then there's a third leg on the stool and that is actually producing the making, recording, editing and generating the content. So so there's that one piece, which is where you and your microphone or you and your guests or how, whatever content you're doing, there's that's one leg of the stool. Right. And then the second leg of the stool is going to be having rapport with your audience having an audience, <laughs> knowing who that audience is, and interacting with them so that that personal experience that they get with you continues beyond them pressing play. So that's actually important and time consumptive. And then the third leg of the stool would be just the marketing of your podcast. I mean, at the end of the day, there are so many out there now, so, so, so many out there now, that actually a bit of planning and some 
constructed work goes into having people actually be aware that you're out there. But I love the way you put it because you are vulnerable and you don't have to know it all. And a lot of people are like, I don't know enough about technology. That's not an excuse if you want to get your message out. You know what I say? I say start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. Just start. And by the way, that quote is from Arthur Ashe. I'm sure many people will be familiar with it. It's not mine, but I remind myself of that every single day. And and quite frankly, it's work. A lot of our listeners, right, travel, travel. right? Mm -hmm. so, so I compare it to, in the business world, I'm chairman's preferred, okay? I am, people know who I am in the arena in which I operate. I get to sit at the front, like I'm respected in that way. And then on online and in social media, I am, I am no frequent flyer status. I'm sitting right next to the lavatory. No one has any idea who I am, right? This was the, this was the analogy. Yes, uh -huh. exactly. And so, so, but I started where I was and it's, and it's working. And of course I remain a student, Pilar, and I keep listening to people who know how to do this far better than I. And I keep taking their best practices and implementing them one at a time. And I'm not trying to do it all at the same time. And we don't have to be that hard to ourselves. And speaking about starting where we are, let's turn to the topic that you talk about, personal development and that mindset of well-being. What can we tell to the busy speaker, that person that is traveling all the time? And this is some things that you talk in your podcast about, right? Yes, I think that one of the things, one of the reason that my listeners resonate with me is because I never pretend to have all of the answers. I never pretend to be sitting on a mountaintop and saying, let me tell you what to do. <laughs> Step one, <laughs> eat right. well, drink water. <laughs> exactly. Instead, I say, guess what? I have a full-time job and I'm not I'm not checking in and out. Like I, I own the company. It's a lot of work. And I'm a mom and that's really important to me. And I'm a wife and I really like my husband, you know, so I have all of these demands on my time and on my life energy. I am in the boat with you. Okay. We are in this boat together because I'm trying to figure out how to make it all work. And one thing I do know, and that is that if I'm not taking care of myself, everything else goes to pot really quickly. So I need to put, to use that tired metaphor, I need to put my oxygen mask on first before I can put it on anyone who might be seated next to me. I'm a better mom. I'm a better executive. I'm a better wife. And frankly, just a better human being when I'm actually caring for myself and taking care of my physical body and my mental body so that I can go out in the world and be of service. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I understand how, why so many people are following you also because we need to hear that message. We need to get the reminder like, yeah, it's okay to be busy. It's okay to be successful. It's okay to make money, but it's everything starts with you. That is 100% true. And true to my form, true to my admission that I'm a struggler, I love to interview people. And I always, I say it like this. I interview people who are doing something better than I am. And there are a lot of people, Pilar, who are doing something better than I am. And I love bringing their expertise to the world. But guess what? I'm learning at the same time. So it's just brilliant. I love it so much. You can probably hear the passion in my voice. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Ella. Pilar. The best to you. The ideal for any speaker is to have a permanent source of income even when they are not on the stage or consulting or coaching. That's right. And for some, it's an online program. For others, a course. But for all of us, products could be the answer. Easy.
And what we want is products that are fast and inexpensive to produce. We are now with Warwick Mary, MC and success speaker. He's from Australia and he had this informational breakout about how to create products for next to nothing. Taking action is very important. Thank you for being here with us at VOE. Pleasure to be here. Lots of fun. <laughs> yes. And I'd like to hear more about creating products. How to work to make more money with uh, more products that are going to do the job for us. Yeah, as speakers, you have a limited amount of time and we essentially swap time for money. So how can we leverage off our, our expertise, our intellectual property and products is the natural way to do it the natural way to do it. But like most speakers, our to-do list is a mile long and you come to influence and you've, you quadruple your to-do list. And so it's like, oh, how do I create these products from work you're already doing? And so that's that's what I've been able to do over the years. So, um, And today I'd love to share some of those different secrets. And what intrigues me is that you talk about creating high value, high impact, professionally done, but doing it quickly. Yes. So that's where we want to drill in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm a big believer in in being at the top end of the market, being very professional and having high end. Um, when it comes to selling cars, I'd much prefer to be selling a Mercedes than I would to be selling uh, a, a cheap little car. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it, they're easier to sell because people know they want them, the margins are better, and, and everyone's happier. So why wouldn't you aim for the top end of the market? So where would we start? Okay. Uh, let's start at the very beginning. And that's a very good place <laughs> to start. That's a good way to start. It <laughs> is indeed. And the, I think the most important thing and the step that nearly everyone skips over is what's your strategy? Because just creating products for the sake of it, I think you speak to many speakers out there and they've got shed loads of books and CDs and things that they created that they just can't move. So what's your strategy? You know, are you, are you creating to sell at the back of the room? Are you creating because you want to be an internationally renowned best-selling author, so you want to be approaching the publishers to get that kind of deal? Are you looking to uh, create bundles for your clients? So when you go and speak with them, not only do they get you speaking, but they also get access to some of your intellectual property, be it on CD, DVD, download, book, whatever it is. So what's your strategy? Uh, a lot of people, when you first come to national speakers, they'll be saying, oh, you've got to have a book. You must have a book. Um, and one of the reasons that people say that is the credibility that a book gives you is massive. So it's important to have a book. But if it's not a good book, it'll do more harm than good. So again, we're talking about being at the high end and making sure your book not only is good content, but it's got to look good. You don't want it to look like you, you've photocopied it down at the local you know, photocopying place. So it's got to be you know, good content. So make sure the strategy is right. That's the most important thing. And I think there's enough people, enough of your colleagues and national speakers who if, if you're struggling with the strategy, have a conversation with them and they will, they will really help you to get that strategy right. And now you just said that a product that is not going to look cheap. Could you tell us three, four ideas mm. that it's going to make that product look more expensive? Yeah, great, the really, really yeah. good idea. So the very first thing you know, when I create a product, um, when I'm a speaker, I want to hang out with, I think it was Ned Cobain who said, who you spend time with is who you become. So same with product. I want my product to be really comparable to top-notch product. So when I was creating my book, I've just published a, my, my second book earlier this year, 
Um, by the way, I've been a member of National Speakers for 16 years. So it's taken me 16 years to get my book out. Um, but I have a book now. But I went and I looked at my bookshelf and I thought, whose books do I really like? What book do I want it to look like? And so I knew the physical dimension of my book. I knew how many pages I wanted to have. And, and a friend of mine gave me a great compliment when he bought, a, bought my book. He said, your book has excellent thunk factor. And your question is, what, what is thunk factor? <laughs> thunk factor is when you drop the book on the table that it goes thunk. So it's heavy and it's weighty because I wanted it to be a good book. I've seen a lot of authors will publish books, but they're, they're not much up from a pamphlet. They're really quite skinny. And so I wanted it to have credibility. I wanted the spine to be thick. So when you look at the spine, you'll go, oh, no, that's a decent kind of book. Um, I had a look at a whole lot of different covers out there and I thought, what are the covers that I like? And I wanted to be on brand as well, and my, 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 one of my strong colours is, is purple. So the cover of my and, and my other colour is gold. So my cover of the book is purple and gold. Um, so I went, you know, I'm not an expert when it comes to designing book covers, so I went to an expert and I worked very closely with her and we came up with a design that I'm very happy with. It took some time and it cost me more money than I wanted it to, but I'm really happy with that outcome and I'm very... Um, uh, very grateful that I invested that time to make the cover lookbook. You know, people say, don't judge a book by a cover, but we all do. We do. We do. We do. Like, if it doesn't attract your attention, you're not even going to get to the back page. And at the back page, it's all about, let me tell you about the author, and no one cares. Our audience don't care about us, what's in the book. Um, so, for me, it is about what does it look like. It's got to look good. It had to... It had to be a glossy cover, it had to be heavy, it had to be um, well-designed, easy to read from a distance, so you knew, what is this book about? You know? Warwick, sometimes people want to know, should my face be on the cover of the book, or should it be something else? And there's a big debate about, yeah. yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't. What's your, yeah, what's your yeah. thought? And look, again, it gets back to branding um, and, and your strategy. It's all about the strategy. Are you selling yourself? Are you selling your business? Um, now, I find I'm crystal clear in my my business, I have a practice. I don't have a business. It's just me. I've got a few VAs and EAs that do my stuff, but it is just me. So that's all I'm selling. Other people have bigger businesses. A, a good friend of mine has a training company, and so she promotes her training company. So a lot of her products have got her training company on it. So it all depends on what you want to position. Um, I've got a beautiful face for radio, so therefore I have a very small picture of my face on the back of the book <laughs> uh, because I didn't want to scare the customers away. Because again, I want to make it easy to buy. I want them to look at the cover and go, ah, I want that. And so you'll see, um, you know, my book's called Get More Inspiration. So in great big words, it says, get more inspiration with a big light bulb that says unexpected ideas to help you achieve. And so people like it because they can look at it and go, yeah, that's what I want. So they need to see them in the cover. And the, there is another way to make it customized for your clients. How do you do that? Yeah, and, and um, I'm a big fan of white labeling. Um, now, by white labeling, what I mean is you're customizing your product for the client so it has their face on it or their name and so it'll be for example let's say you want to have IBM as a client you've just written your book and you know that they have big events and you're thinking oh if only I could sell 10,000 copies of my book to IBM so rather than going and just talking about it because I believe our customers have and our prospects have so much on their mind mm -hmm. we want to make it easy for them so rather than saying oh here's my book imagine if your logo was on it I've spent the money to get the designer to put the logo on it, change the colour from purple 
to IBM Blue. Have the third page, so it's got here's the title, here's all the details. Then the third page is a message from the CEO with a picture of the CEO and then write some generic blurb um, and then get it printed and you can do it quite cost effectively and take it to them and saying, how good would it be if your team had this as a book? And so by doing that, now whether it's for a book, a CD, a DVD, whatever product it is, white labelling it so it is their brand on it, makes them own it a whole lot more. You can sell them at a much cheaper price so they think, wow, we're getting a great deal, but doing a mass quantity means that your margins are really great. Very good. Smart. So there's a big move to another product, and that is to not do CDs, but to go MP3, to do the digital download, to go that direction. But you have a different opinion about it. Well, it's it's sort of, it's not... It's not a. It's not an or question. It's yes. an and or. So you can do both. Okay. It's about positioning, because MP3s and downloads are easy and quick and cheap, and you can do them not a problem. But they don't look like they're worth much. Whereas to hold a CD or a CD pack or a DVD, and I mean, I, and I've bought. There's been some some of our speakers, and I've bought some of their stuff on USB. And you get a USB stick, the same one that you know you can pay <laughs> two to three dollars and get this USB, and you've paid a hundred dollars for all their stuff. And you're it's like, the perception. It is perception. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I produce my audio CDs, I put them out in a DVD case because it, it looks bigger. It's got more more real estate to be printing information on, and it looks more valuable. Uh, so yeah, it's it all about how am I positioning it? And it's like you know when you go and pick up your Mercedes after you've bought your Mercedes, there's a big <laughs> ribbon on it. They might give you a free CD. There's pomp and ceremony. It's not just like oh here are your keys, mate. Enjoy the car. Drive safe. You know it, there's there's this pomp and ceremony. Why wouldn't we do the same? Um, I know when my EA sends books out to to people who are, I'm prospecting to. She gets the book, she puts it in a little clear plastic cover, she writes a little handwritten note, she bubble wraps it, then sticks it into another cover and does an express post because it just looks more impressive. Yes, it costs a little bit more, but when you're playing at the top end of the market, the margins are healthier and you'll get a better return on your money. And it's the same when you record this live in an event and so you have someone introducing you and you are using all correct, this? Correct, correct. So uh, uh, a lot of people ask me, well, where do I get the recording from? Do I just stand in front of my computer and record it? You can do that. But as I said at the beginning, I'm a little bit lazy and I like the easy way out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so if you've got a digital recorder and a, a little, um, I call them a 3.5 mil lead to a 3.5, I think it's an eighth of an inch in the Imperial metrics, um, <laughs> where you can just plug it straight into a um, the panel that's recording you and just say to the AV guy or gal, He's just record this and you get up, they give you a presentation, that's it, you've already done it and you're recording. Then you just say to some of your national speaker buddies, oh, can you record for me an intro? So you've got someone going, hey, it's Warwick Mary here. We're about to listen to someone so live from the... Here they are now. And then at the end of it, they go, you've just been listening to Warwick Mary. For further information, go to warwickmary.com, blah, blah, blah. So you're making it really professional. You've got the intro, the outro, and you can go to places like Upwork, Fiverr, uh, these kind of places, and they can get you some royalty-free music and they can mix and tweak it, put tracks in it. Again, make it easier for the customer. So they get an intro so they know what's coming. They get tracks so if they're listening to it and they want to stop halfway through, they can start it again, and then they get a conclusion with a call to action at the outside. What about partnering with some other speakers that oh. you know, that you trust, that complements your disciplines? Yeah. What, what would happen if you worked with them? One of my favourite products that I created was a 12-disc product called Get More Business Success. 
And basically what I did was interviewed, I think it was 10 different other um, National Speakers members who are colleagues of mine who have different areas of specialty. And, and I did a deal with them and I said, look, we'll do the interview um, and I have an, an interview format that I use. And I said, at the end of it, I will give you a copy of the master and you can do whatever you want with it. Use it as a promo product for yourself. Uh, I, I can do a slightly different intro if you want it. Uh, do whatever. It's yours. Print it. Do whatever. Um, and then whatever you sell is yours and whatever I sell, the multi-pack's mine. Um, and what I actually did is one of them asked me and said, oh, can we buy some of the multi-packs at wholesale price? which I hadn't thought of, and I said, yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you for and, and so what had happened is by the time they bought the, those at wholesale, that actually paid for my whole manufacturing cost. So it actually paid for itself. But now I've got this 12-disc product, which is on my website for like $599 or something, but it's brilliant for bundling. So when I'm speaking at a public forum, I can say, hey, back of the room, here it is. And I'm getting... I'm borrowing on the credibility of these other speakers as they are borrowing from mine, and it just it works really, really well. This is my favorite question because we don't have to worry about quantity and about, oh, what if? When should I make it? When should I make that product? This is the thing. I would make the product after you've sold it. <laughs> there are so many products that I've tried and I'll just, if I'm speaking somewhere and I'll sell it um, from the stage or I'll put out an email blast or something. And if no one buys it, I don't create it because I've realized there's no market. It's a really good thing to do is to sell it first. And then if, if it does sell, then you create it. And if it doesn't sell, you don't create it. Thank you very much. Warwick, not Warwick. Not Warwick. Warwick. I would, I would accept Warwick from you. Thank you very much. <laughs> In today's business world, what is the new way of branding ourselves? Are we missing opportunities? Or are we engaging for the right reasons? Do we care about the client only or about his or her clients as well? Tell me more is one of those statements that will help us to position ourselves in a better place to close a deal, accomplish specific goals, and keep future conversations open. Let's have Chris Westfall, who has helped clients to get in programs like Shark Tank, tell us about those more effective ways to connect. We are in a conversation with Chris Westfall. Chris has got a great idea of how to shift our attention from the old school of branding to the new rules of engagement. In fact, you call it bulletproof branding. We're really curious, so let's get that conversation started. Well, you know, in the old days, branding used to be about broadcasting, about what you say about yourself. But that's changed today. Branding isn't about broadcasting. Branding today is a conversation. And if you want to know if your branding is working, you got to ask yourself this question. How is my brand creating exchange? In other words, the exchange of thoughts and ideas via your blog, uh, interesting pictures, even via Pinterest, things that generate the conversation. If you're active in social media, it's not about the post. It's about the comments. It's about how you create uh, an engagement. And, and the way that you know that you, if you've captured the new rules of engagement, if you've created this kind of branding conversation, is via these three words in some form or fashion. Tell me more. When your client, when your prospect, when the person that you're reaching out to, someone who's important to you, says, tell me more. Tell me more about the webinar you were talking about. Tell me more about how we might incorporate your books as a lead behind after you speak. Those kinds of things are your keys and clues 
that you've created the new rules of engagement. The new rules of engagement are a conversation. And that dialogue is not only referrals and it's not only offline, it's also face-to-face, -face, it's social media platforms, different ways of doing it. Tell me more. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> you know, it, it's a myth and a fallacy to think that a slogan or a positioning statement is enough, that you can somehow hit somebody over the head with a... With with a statement that will make them write a check and hire you. It's, it, don't get me wrong. You have to have a positioning statement. You have to be clear on what your brand is and the value that you create for others. But until others convey to you that they see that value statement, it's one thing to say, my value statement is this. Great. So what? It only becomes meaningful when the client says, I see your value as this. And when the client is saying that, it makes it very easy to talk about things like fees. It, in fact, it makes the transaction inevitable when you place your attention where it belongs, which is on the client and on their needs. And you can take recognition, recognition of your client to a new level. That's really what the new rules of engagement are about. It's really about saying to the client, not only do I see you and I see your needs within your organization, but I see the needs of the people that you care about. I, I see what you're thinking about. Another way to think of it is that you see your customer's customer. That takes the conversation to a new level because it's one thing to say, I recognize what you're trying to accomplish here with this conference, but here's what that might mean to your management team, to the franchisees within your organization, et cetera. And you can carry it out from there. It's different each time. There's never a, a sort of canned branding statement. It's always an organic conversation, but it begins with that kind of focus. And it means you have to do your homework and know your client. But if you know your material and you have excellent content, you should have the confidence to do that and put your attention where, where it belongs and, quite frankly, where, where your client expects it. And that's on their business. And sometimes there is the pain that they don't even recognize is there. So how do I know what they are thinking? You coach a lot of your clients to be uh, participants in shows like the Shark Tank. So, and you help them through the message, one of the steps. It's all about persuasion and, and understanding how to create a context for your message. When you're going in front of the sharks... When you're going into television, you have to understand the context is a visual medium. So you have to take into consideration some elements that, that sometimes we as, as professional speakers doesn't really apply unless you're working on, on, in TV. But you have, to, you have to really think about how you can create context for the conversation. Because context in this day and age, context trumps content. And let me explain what I mean. Let me explain. I'm meeting a client for the first time. She meets me and she says, Chris, I've heard so much about you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. So what do I do? Well, I say something very stupid. Here's what I say. Well, thank you for asking. I'm the U.S. National Elevator Pitch Champion. She goes, wow, that's really great. What's an elevator pitch? <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. This is I, my world. I know. it's, my, but, but have you ever done that? You know, you're, you're focused on your world and it's about, you know, customer service or leadership or whatever the, it is. And people go, I. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I don't get you mm -hmm. because, because I come out of the gate with looking through at the world through my little porthole and I don't take time to take in my listener. I don't have a context 
for the conversation. And that's the thing that we don't realize, particularly when it's face-to-face. We're talking to somebody on the telephone, we're doing Skype, whatever it might be. Context trumps content. And if people don't get you, you don't get the right to share your best-selling book. You don't get the right to pull out the spreadsheet or the pro forma or talk about the $2 million that you raised for another Silicon Valley company. Context trumps content. And the way that you set that stage is by understanding how to how to place your attention and create that new new kind of engagement that we've been talking about. There's three questions you got to ask yourself, and these are the questions that the client is asking themselves. Why you? Why this? Why now? Okay. So, and hopefully at this point in the conversation, you've answered the why you and why this. The this is your platform, the message that you can provide, and why now? And you have to go back to the clues that have been created because it's a conversation, and they've shared with you the outcomes that they want to create. And you simply reiterate the outcomes that they've stated that you've shared together. I understand that what you're looking for is A, B, and C. And I think we've talked about how I can create that for your attendees. Then here's the, here's the real kicker. This question. Can you think of any reason why we wouldn't be able to work together on this project? Simple as that. And if it's a conversation and you're not trying to shove something down their throat or squeeze them until money comes out or whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> we'd love to do as speakers. I know I've been there. But when, when you understand that the outcome is in your mind inevitable, the outcome has to be right. You know, one of the things that I say from the platform is that the stories we tell teach people how to treat us, how to pay us, how to invest in our ideas. And, and we make our living based on our stories. My question for the folks listening to this is, what's the story you're telling yourself before you're having that conversation with the client? And are you able to answer why you, why this, why now in a compelling context that makes the, the transaction a, a ripple effect, a side effect, if you will, of the value that you can create? I really appreciate that. That's great. And what I'm hearing has really been helpful to me is you said you got to trust your content so well that you are so confident that you can talk about them and not you. It's the key because that's why they're calling you. When somebody says, tell me a little bit about yourself, if you think that's an invitation to talk about yourself, you're making a mistake. Mm-hmm. What, that really, what that question really is saying is, tell me a little bit about what you might be able to do for me. And not only me, but the people I care about, my boss, the leadership team, the shareholders, da 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 So that's how it unfolds. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was an honor to be here. Thank you for sharing the new rules of engagement. And now a presidential conversation with Ruby Newell Legner. We welcome now Ruby Newell Legner, the president of NSA, who just came back yesterday from a three-week trip from different countries representing NSA. Welcome back home, Ruby. Thank you, Pilar. It's an honor to be here. Tell us about these experiences. This year, I've been privileged to be part of 10 different annual association uh, meetings in the different associations that are members of, of GSF, Global Speaking Federation. And they start in August with the French Association of Experts and Professional Speakers. Stacy attended that one. Our CEO attended that one on my behalf because I had a booking that was already scheduled, so I was not able to attend. But then starting in September was the German Speakers Association. Um, that, that represents Germany, Austria, 
Austria and Switzerland. Then October was the Professional Speaking Association of the UK and Ireland. In December was our neighbors, the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. In March, it was the Professional Speakers Association of Holland. And I was very excited to get to take my husband on that trip. And he got to experience Europe for the first time. After returning from Holland, I did the Malaysian Association of Professional Speakers. Then I presented at the Professional Speakers Australia. And I will go, and actually, while I was on that trip, I snuck over to New Zealand and did some professional development classes for the New Zealand uh, National Speakers Association. So we've been all around. Uh, coming up, and I know that I'll already be done with these when we have the recording published, but I'll be going to the Professional Speakers Association of South Africa and then the Asia Professional Speakers in Singapore. So it's a, a full 10, 10 conferences that are just amazing. And it's so great to be able to be an ambassador uh, for NSA and represent us and also spread the word of, of Cavett Robert and, and make a bigger pie, and we certainly do that. So I'd like to give a special shout out to all the associations that showed me such outstanding hospitality on my travels. I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know them and, and certainly we want to reciprocate that at the conference in July. So we will see you at Influence 2016. Ruby, as you're traveling all around the world, this, this globetrotter for NSA, what are some of the highlights as you've interacted with different professionals around the world? What, what stands out for you as special moments? Connecting with fellow speakers around the world is, is pretty amazing. You know, as an ambassador, it's really nice to, I present at each one of the conferences and they ask me to do different things. Some are about uh, presentations and that are actual, you know, helping them grow their business. And some of them are about the trends and best practices that we're seeing here in the United States. Overall though, what is so warm and refreshing is I feel like everywhere we go, we have an instant friends, you know, that we can connect across the pond and uh, even, you know, up north in Canada, wherever we go, we do have someone who understands what we do and can also help us. It also is really heartwarming to hear how much respect the other association has for um, NSA. It, it's really, um, my heart is really full and it, it feels that we're doing some great work and we're doing it with like like-minded people and and it's really it's really a great opportunity to spread the word that's a wonderful feeling any one idea or one thing that you saw in any of these countries that is working for them um, probably we are not doing it and we could implement here I will use an example that just happened recently here in um, NSA Colorado. Um, there was a person who from Holland was coming over to attend an event in the Denver area. So she took the initiative to go on the website for NSA Colorado and reach out and, and fill out a little inquiry form that she was coming over to see us and wanted to know if she could meet with any of us. I would encourage any of our, our fellow speakers to do the same. If you're going to another country, go to the website that has that international uh, speaking association on it and fill out the forms and get in touch with some folks. I love to reach out beforehand and find out, is there anything I should know that is maybe very unique to your association or to your country, um, some, some terminology and that kind of thing. It's
it's like an instant friend that you can reach out to. Well, Ruby, we're really glad that you've been our ambassador this year, and we're glad that you're home after all of your travels and hope that as we begin to turn our attention to Influence 2016, we'll have the opportunity to literally practice what you've just encouraged us to do, and that's to make the connection with every speaker we can, including those that have come from around the world. Thanks again, Ruby. Absolutely. Thank you. You bet. Hi, everyone. This is Scott Halford, and I am thrilled to be sharing with you the news that I've got for you about the place that you want to be July 23rd through 26th in Phoenix, Arizona at the stunning JW Marriott Desert Ridge Resort. What's even more stunning is the program that event co-chair Stephen Shapiro and I have been noodling over for more than a year to construct for you. There's something for your brain, your heart, your soul, your funny bone. You can go to nsaspeaker.org and get the whole lineup of speakers, workshops, and events. And, and right now, I just want to highlight just a few of them as an example of what you have in store to transform yourself and your business. After the amazing Saturday night entertainment extravaganza opening, and I mean it is going to be a mind-blowing thing that's not to be topped by even shows in Las Vegas, and I'm serious about that. We have Sunday with our general session speakers, and they might be people you haven't met before, but I guarantee you're going to be thrilled that they're on your journey after you meet them. We've got Jennifer Kite, who has an enterprise, really an empire, with her Women's Empowerment Alliance, and she's got a syndicated radio show with more than one million subscribers. She keynotes, she does workshops, she has her own magazine, and even a few more other things that would just take mere mortals and put them on the sideline. And she all she does it all, and, and she still has a life right from Atlanta. So she's going to teach us about how she does that, make you think about your business a little differently. We also have the uncomfortable Scott Stratton, who will share with us his, his amazingly provocative and totally engaging thinking on how to engage our clients instead of market to them. It's just got an awesome twist about that, so you'll really enjoy that. And then Don Yeager, he's one of our own. He's an eight-time New York Times best-selling author. I don't know if you know that about him. And he's also been a longtime associate editor for Sports Illustrated. He's considered one of the most provocative thought leaders in America, and he's going to come and twist your head up a little bit, too. So you'll really enjoy him. On Monday... We have a really cool group of experts, including Amy Cosper, who's the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, Patty Dennis, who's the head of all talent recruitment for the media giant Gannett Broadcasting. We've got a journalist and social media expert from Google who is so amazing that they named an airport after him, the Mr. Heath Rowe. Seriously, that's his name, Heath Rowe, and television personality Rachel Weintraub. They're all going to turn your head upside down about how the world is changing in terms of how it likes to consume information. So this could change your business. It's cutting, cutting edge stuff. So there you are. There are a few highlights. We've got more. Make sure that you, you sign up as soon as you possibly can. It's going to be packed with people, with excitement, with your best buddies, and some of the most amazing thinking going on anywhere. That's in Phoenix, July 23rd through 26th. See you there. Welcome to another edition of Two Sides of the Same Coin, where we take one topic and hear how two different speakers think about one question. Today our topic is, to be successful, should a speaker have lots of different topics available for clients to choose from, 
or should a speaker pick one topic and own it? First up to state her opinion is Marjorie Brody, CSP, CPAE. Marjorie is the President and CEO of Brody Professional Development, a global organization that's been delivering training programs to emerging leaders since 1983. She has written over 18 books and has a wide variety of topics available to provide a complete curriculum of learning. Welcome, Marjorie. Tell us how you view the topic of the month. I'm not much of a cook, and so I go out to a lot of restaurants. Now, I'm not picking those all-you-can-eats, and you don't know what you're going to get kind of restaurant, but depending on my mood and what I need at that time, I might pick a Thai restaurant or Italian or seafood. So there's some kind of overarching theme. But when I get to that restaurant, I want a selection of offerings, and I want them served in a variety of ways. In other words, I want choices. And I'm also going to bring family and friends or recommend people to go to the restaurant, but they might want something very different than what I wanted or ordered. Now, I know this is VOE and not Bon Appetit, but I do see the similarities to our business to a five-star restaurant. And that's why I believe that we have the capacity and the responsibility to be more than a one-trick pony. We should offer multiple topics and offer ways of delivering those topics within an overarching theme. This allows us to expand our brand while meeting the needs of our clients and keeping us fresh. Now, I mentioned clients. This is a business. So when a client loves us and they trust us, they want more of what we can do. And we can go deeper and we can go wider within their organization. They're going to keep referring us internally and within the organization and within the industry. So our business grows and we help more people. Those are good reasons to have multiple topics. But there is another reason. And that is to keep us as speakers fresh. When I started in this business, I was doing one topic, and, and really, I just got bored. I do know that having multiple topics under one umbrella again is going to keep us developing and researching and connecting the dots. So for personal and business reasons, I believe that multiple topics and deliveries of those topics under one theme is the best way to go. Bon appétit. Thank you, Marjorie. And now up to share the other side of the coin is Scott McCain, CSP, CPAE. He is an internationally known authority who helps organizations create distinction in every phase of business and teaches how to deliver an ultimate customer experience. So Scott, what's your position on my topic of the month? I get Scott McCain and I think you build your speaking business when you're known for one thing. Now, I had a pretty good speaking business for a number of years, but it wasn't until I focused solely on distinction. What does it take to create distinction in the marketplace that I moved from having a pretty good career to a, a great career? You know why? Because you have to understand what creates marketplace distinction. And as I studied about business, I realized it works in the speaking business as well. The first cornerstone of distinction is clarity. Audiences and meeting planners and bookings don't get attracted to muddled messages. You've got to be absolutely clear about your position in the marketplace. So how in the world do I establish clarity in the marketplace if I'm talking about a number of different topics? Look, in the early days of my speaking business, I would speak about anything. If you had a check, I'd come talk to get it. It wasn't until I focused on creating distinction that things really started happening. You know why? Because 
Clarity is what builds your business. If I say scope, you think about mouthwash. If I say dominoes, you think about pizza. They're very clear about who and what they are. Now, can there be some brand extensions? Yeah, but only after you're really, really well known and in areas that are totally congruent. For example, Scope mouthwash can be an additive to toothpaste. We know that Domino's sells more than pizza for people that don't want pizza. But I say Zippo and you think of cigarette lighters. Did you know that Zippo's tried to launch a women's perfume and it failed miserably? You know, ladies, if you want to smell like lighter fluid, this is what you need to buy. At the end of the day, the way that you create distinction in the speaking marketplace is to be known for something. And you can't do that trying to cover multiple topics. I'd suggest you take a look at that. It's worked for me, and it's helped create distinction in my marketplace just as it can for yours. This is Scott McCann. So there you have it, proving again there's never just one way to look at any topic in this business. See you next month. This is Voices of Experience announcer Sam Newton. It's time to wrap up this edition with VOWE. Now your hosts, Stephen Iverson, CSP, and Pilar Ortiz. We as speakers know how important videos are. So Stephen and I are here recording a video, make sure you watch it, That's right. to talk about what works when we are doing videos. So here is our VOWE with some of the tips that we know are Good. And keep in mind these tips we're going to share with you are not about your video promos that you're using for your keynotes and sessions, but this is about connecting through video with your customers in other forms so that you're building content and making that connection. Very important. One thing that you hire a photographer and they are recording your video, you on the stage, but this is more the video blogging website, social media. So how to connect with that camera there? That lens that is your friend. That's the number one tip. Treat the camera as your friend. Look at the eyes of the camera. Yes, when you are thinking about the next word you are going to say, don't look up, looking for the word. Make that connection because that is the viewer. You can do that with smiley eyes. Did you say smiley eyes? Smiley eyes. Oh, you gotta explain that for me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about expressing and connecting because we know we have a few seconds to make that connection and people tend to be very nervous and flat even speakers in front of that camera and reading teleprompter make it words. And we see this face of reading or moving the eyes from one side to the other one. So by practicing, smiley eyes is nothing else than connecting, expressing the feeling and the emotion through your eyes. Very good. And if it's a sad, if it's something sad that you're saying, it's the same thing. It's not about smiling, but it's about expressing and connecting. Wonderful. Here's another tip for you. When you are speaking and making that connection with that audience through the camera, be very aware of what you're doing with your head. Sometimes we get a little nervous or self-conscious about our content delivery that pretty soon we start nodding our heads with every word we speak and suddenly we look like a bobblehead or a little puppet that's bouncing around. And now the audience member who's trying to watch you is distracted from the words and they're totally aware of what's happening to your head. Sometimes waving it back and forth as well. Be a little bit more natural, an occasional, uh, occasional nod or maybe tipping your head when you're making a point. Just be comfortable in 
that sense and aware of what you're doing with your head. And it's just a little bit as you nod. If you are with another person, you are interviewing, yes. you turn. But you are absolutely right, not a lot. And something else that distracts us, it could be the hands, for example. If you are using your hands to use them or not to use them, that's the question. That's the question. Of course, you want to use them if you regularly use them. But make sure you are not using them all in front of your face or very close to the camera because they are going to look huge. Yes. Keep them closer to your body as you use them a little slower that you will do in real life because we are tricking the camera we want to make sure they look natural but if i move them the normal way as you can see if you are watching the video it will look so fast it does doesn't it and uh, what about um, being too close to your body you want to keep them close but not unreal like they look funny you want to keep them close but relaxed and open separate from your body it's almost like wings oh <laughs> so smiley eyes aware of your head and careful with the hands comfortable but close to you and one more thing what to wear solid colors pastels are the best and there is one that is a no 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 a no no what's that what is your guess what color white avoid white because it takes so much light that it wouldn't look good it's a no-no if you are wearing a shirt underneath a jacket that's fine but a white jacket or white blouse it's a no-no and stripes probably not a good Be idea very aware of stripes patterns and different things and that are going to look busy yes on camera very good well we hope that these were helpful tips to you as you begin to really branch out into the digital world and making the connection as a communicator not just on the stage but face to face virtually and this is the first thing that they will see a video you are connecting they are going to like you and be make make sure you are yourself and one more thing practice 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 because the first video may look not the one you want, but it will get better and better. We're also extending the value of VOE by continuing the conversation. It's very easy. Go to the National Speakers Association Facebook page. Post your questions and comments. Make sure you tag Pilar or me, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts. And also remember to download the VOE app so you can enjoy this valuable information on your own time, anywhere, at any moment. Talk to you next month. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.